Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer and director Kwaku Alston. Kwaku has worked with clients such as ESPN, Time Magazine, Amazon, Universal Studios, and the New York Times, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Kwaku about how he got his start managing large-scale commercial ad campaign shoots, and his experience photographing people such as Barack and Michelle Obama, as well as Oprah, to name a few. Kwaku is a fellow RIT graduate, and I've been following his work since I was a student at RIT, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. Kwaku Alstom, uh, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you. Um, to start off, I was kind of curious, like, uh, where you grew up and, like, how you kind of got into photography initially. Well, uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it, yeah. um, especially coming from another fellow RIT alumni. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I grew up in, uh, right outside, I grew up actually originally in Philadelphia, but my parents moved to um, the Washington, D.C. area. Got it. When I was about 10 years old, 11 years old. That's awesome, man. Like, how did you kind of pick up the camera initially? Um, were there, like, any other photographers or kind of artists in your family? There was really no artists in my family, per se, as profession, but there was a lot of family members that had artist aspirations. That's awesome. They just maybe not understood the career path to becoming a full-fledged professional artist. Yeah. Uh, I am basically... My uncle passed away when I was 38 years when he was 38 years old, wow. and I kind of uh, inherited his camera. He had a Canon A1 that my mom received, and she kept it in the closet. And one day, I found myself tinkering through her stuff, and I picked up the A1 and a few of the lenses, and I took one of the lenses apart. And you know, she was pretty upset, but she said, "You know, maybe you should take a photography class." That's awesome. I couldn't fix it, so that's how I kind of began. So was your your family always kind of supportive of your uh, like photography and kind of creative endeavors from the jump? Yeah, I think they were supportive as much as they could be, but they didn't think it was going to be something that would be uh, I would be going to college for or try to make it as a profession. They just thought it was maybe just a hobby. Mm. Yeah, because like when you kind of started thinking this could be a career for you, like what kind of photographer do you think you're going to be? Like, um, like was did you always kind of envision like editorial, commercial, and the stuff you're doing, or like early on, what did you kind of think you're going to do? I mean, if you talk early on in high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of was more into photojournalism, street photography, landscapes, whatever, just taking photographs of friends and family. Yeah. But when I started to pursue this more for in, going into more of a yeah, structured study approach, going to RIT. Um, I, you know, you go into RIT as a basic photography student, and I was in the applied program, the more commercial side of photography. But I still like photojournalism. But, you know, in the beginning of freshman and sophomore, it gives you that time to kind of, kind of figure out where you want to go with your art. And eventually I found myself moving towards the portraiture arena and fashion arena, mm. more than photojournalism still life. And how do you how do you kind of decide on RIT coming from like the Washington D.C. area? You know, like a lot of people, um, like New York's a popular photo school area. Probably L.A. back then was Brooks. Um, what, what what kind of made you to decide on RIT? You think? Well, I mean, when I was in high school, when I graduated, you know, I applied to a few different colleges. I mean, I was still unsure I wanted to go into the arts and photography, especially. Yeah. 
so I applied for photojournalism to University of Ohio University in Athens. I applied yeah. there. I applied to RIT because it was more commercially, you know, kind of photography. And it was like a great photography school. Everyone knew RIT. It was very well known in the photographic industry back then. Yeah. Uh, I never, I didn't know about Brooks. This is before the internet. People don't realize this is before the internet. <laughs> college students had to, you had to write to college, you get a brochure. Yeah. And that took three weeks to a month to get it back. Yep. Now you just go online, you can find out anything. You type in best photo school and it, everything comes up. Yeah. But back, you know, this is 1988, there wasn't that many options of, figuring things out. Mm. I knew about different art schools. I didn't research enough art schools in New York City. Yep. And I, I should have done more of that. But I also was thinking two art schools, also Savannah College Art and Design. I, they gave me a, I was um, accepted there as well. I think George Washington University mm. did a small photojournalism program, but I thought it'd be good to go there. It was close to home. And also I could do biology or do something else. Yeah. But I didn't like the photography and it at school no it's interesting and do you feel like it was like RIT was like a useful ex uh, experience the program you went through do you feel like it's kind of valuable you kind of got something out of it uh, I tell you I think RIT was the best thing for me simply because not only did it help me flourish in the photography industry it helped me figure out what I wanted to do yeah. and gave me the skills and the uh, technical approach all the different things RIT is known for but more importantly my best friends are from RIT. Yeah. My, my fellow classmates, my art students, the trials and tribulations we had to go through and the cold weather, the bonding, the fellowship, the, the critiques, yeah. the, the maddening uh, project that had, you know, had to be done last minute or whatever, the dark room time and getting studio time and just collaborating and helping people out, assisting, all that little stuff that we learned in art school, photo school, that created some really tight bonds. Mm. And my friends from art school, okay, I saw it art school, but photo school, they're still my best friends of the day. That's a, that's a really, no, that's really amazing. Um, yeah, because even, even when I went to RIT, because it's pretty amazing when you go to school like that, I think that's kind of half the thing is like, the, like you said, it's like the people you meet, because like a lot of those people could become like, photo editors or art producers or photographers themselves and like do you feel like a big part of this business is this like relationships and kind of like building those relationships and maintaining them yeah i think any business is a relationship building any business yeah. but when, when i first went to rat i remember the second day of school we were all in the auditorium and the teachers they said to us like 300 people all these photo students from photojournalism to whatever yeah and they said, look next to you. Look on the left and look on the right of you. Yep. That person either is going to be hiring you or you, or they're not going to be doing photography. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, I don't want to be one of those people, you know? <laughs> but then when I think about it, a lot of people, you know, after four years, you really, it kind of weeds out who wants to be a shooter. Who I had a friend the whole time was like, all I want to do is be a creative director and have the off-corner office with a beautiful view of New York City. And he became that. Yeah. You know, and that and he has a great job. And I come back, I wish I had that job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's um, it's definitely it's definitely one thing that you you do um, you it does you do you figure it out. You know, and it's 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 strange how it weeds out people who want to do certain things. 
Yeah, because like what, like what do you think the skill set of like being like a a working commercial photographer is? Because like when I look at it, like having like assisted a lot of people and like talked to a lot of photographers, I, I feel like a big part of the skill is like being able to like communicate your ideas, obviously, um, like effectively and like being able to like read the room and like be able to talk to a lot of different people because like as you know looking at your website you photograph all different types of people um do you feel like that's a big part of it this kind of communication is that like a big skill set to what you do you think i i think that's the, there there's definitely all the above yeah i mean you really have to be a politician and you have to be a, understand how to be a captain of the ship mm -hmm. because when you are on set, like my jobs right now, there's 30, 40 people on set. I can't talk to everyone. Yeah. But I know if my energy, if my energy is on point, it goes down the ranks. Yeah. It kind of like if I'm in a good mood or night, I, if I'm doing it and, you know, being polite, it goes to my first assistant. He becomes that way. It, go, it goes all the way down. If you're having a bad mood or anything like this or being upset or yelling, it goes all the way down. Mm. So it's all the way down to the, the catering. So it's really about setting the right vibe and energy on set to help the people you're actually photographing come alive. Yeah. I think that really helps. It just gives them that space to feel comfortable within. So I think that, you know, being a politician, understanding how to deal with clients, understanding how to deal with, uh, you know, vendors, assistants, si stylists, whatever it is, you have to be able to deal with all those different egos and, not saying they all have egos, but just dealing with those different types of personalities. Yeah. So I guess um, being a people person is part of this. It's one skill, but right. also knowing when to listen and then know when to assert hmm. um, your 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 creative viewpoints. No, it's interesting. And is that like, is that something you think you've always just been comfortable with, or like you kind of grow over time, like and you become more like conscious I mean, conscious of it. I think you grow over time because when I first got out of RAT, they didn't teach you that. They didn't teach you that one. We learned the technical stuff, yeah. and we didn't understand there's a, there is a set etiquette. So when I got out of college, I got my first job. I I was so consumed with being the great image yeah. that I forgot about my subject. Mm. Just by it just happens, I was so under the pressure because it's my first job or second job in the first couple of years. I wasn't good at handling the um, the back end, the assistance, the the, the, whatever it was on the back end to help you produce the image, I wasn't always good at communicating with them. Hmm. So I would be on set, I would just be hurrying and being, it was like a big hurricane sometimes when I was in my 20s. Yeah. And then in my 30s, I learned to relax because I had some success. So I think what happens is you, it's, it's, a, it's on the job training, you're always learning, you're always making mistakes, you're always having successes. And it's what you learn from those things that help you become a better photographer and communicator and having a better set. Yeah. And that's what experience does for you. Yeah. No, it's really amazing. I was lucky enough when I was at school uh, at our RIT, I, I, you came and spoke, I think like the first or second year I was there. And uh, it was kind of really amazing hearing about your work. And another thing, because I used to like, this is like early days of YouTube and stuff. And I would just, any like photo content I could find, I was just like looking for it. And I remember looking at these videos you used to like have parties i think you had like a studio maybe in like venice or something 
and uh, mm-hmm. you would like throw parties, and there was like these little behind the scenes videos, and it was like no one was even like doing this stuff back then, and you were kind of throwing it up there. And I, the thing I took away from it was like, well, this guy really has like a there's like an energy and like a like an atmosphere on his sets. You kind of you could tell like it was like oh he's having a good time with this. Uh, it wasn't really a question, but <laughs> it was just like an observation. I remember you posting those videos back then. It was really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I really loved when the first, when the websites first came out. It was a really, I mean, I you know here it goes back to RAT alumni. Yeah. My first web designers work was was this Derek Snakes. He was a photo student with me. Yeah. Derek Snakes out of San Francisco. He went into the web design arena. He still was doing photography, but he went into the web design, and he he helped me do my first three or four websites. Yeah. And one of the things we knew we wanted to do together to keep it different than everyone else was do some video because it's you know streaming. It wasn't it wasn't like it was started out as dial up and then in the two thousand one yeah the speed got more quicker so you can have you know video. So we started videotaping uh photo shoots. Why I was doing it already mm-hmm. and I just started having them cut, you know, nothing spectacular, but we just wanted to put it up just to help be some to have something to show the client of what you actually are how you are on set. Yeah. That's really important because part of the job is how to get the job is they, they ask the agents all the time, what kind of typer is this? How's his ego? How's this? How's that? How are they on set? How are they, like, do they talk? Yep. You know, because all of us are different in our creative approach. So I thought that was something that could be a good, useful marketing tool. And this is before YouTube. Oh, yeah. I was doing that. Yeah, it was before YouTube. Yeah, and I, now I don't, even know. I, I don't have the energy to do it as much. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to, man. You're shooting Black Panther campaigns and all this stuff. So you're, you're, you're chilling now. Um, but uh, <laughs> I like to think I'm, I'm not chill. We're, we're never chilling. I know. I know. Only as good as your last job. <laughs> That's true. I know, man. Ebbs and flows. Um, but when you got out of RAT, like, what was kind of your first step? Like, you know, a lot of people go into the assisting route. Um, what was kind of your next move? Did you go straight to shooting, or what was kind of your first step into the foray of a, I guess, commercial photography? Well, when I graduated RAT, um, I had like. You know, five hundred dollars. Yep. I had like me eight thousand, eight hundred and nine hundred dollars. And I went back home for the first, you know, couple of weeks, and I was partying because I was, I was really into dancing and club music and all that. So my friends, we always go to clubs. Yeah. So I started spending all my money I got from my college, <laughs> my you know graduation present. Yeah. For my family, and I'm like, oh my god, I have five hundred dollars left. It's going to go in the next month if I don't get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, my friend called me to go. There's an apartment that opened up. On 30th, between the 8th and 9th, my friend went to FIT. Yep. So it's funny, because my friend from RIT, his girlfriend went to FIT, and she had an apartment open up. She called us, and she goes, we have an apartment, and, you know, you want it. I said, sure. It's $700 a month. Yep. One room, six-floor walk-up on 30th Street. So the, my friend, who was a Japanese photographer, Shingo Wakagi, and he's great. He's incredible. She interviewed him. He's in Japan. Yeah. Him and I said, let's go. Let's go. So we, we packed all our stuff up. We met in D.C. and we drove the, we drove to New York together, mm-hmm. and we uh, moved into a one bedroom apart one room apartment, not one bedroom, just one room. And it was uh, we just started there. That's how I started. That's awesome in New York. And, and, and were you were assisting, or you just tried to? Were you showing your book, or like what, what kind of stuff were you working on? I had I had a portfolio one. It wasn't doing anything great, uh, and I just had my schoolwork portraits. Yep. And I, I mean, during college, I would enter, I would always be entering contests and also 
I had a couple editorial clients. I worked for the Reporter magazine. Oh yeah, me too. Our, at RAC. It was great. Yeah, that's great. It's great get get, get your pictures out there. Yeah. And I also worked for whatever local magazine in Rochester I could find. Yeah. So when while I was in school, I was entering contests, and I you know was fortunate enough to be placed first or second in a few of them. Yeah. And you know, RAC always had these great people to come and speak to the students, and one of them was Kathy Ryan oh, wow. from New York Times Magazine, and she noticed one of my pictures in American Photo when she was flying up to Rochester that day. And I was in a dark room working on a project, and I didn't, I was late to the lecture. When I got to the lecture, people said, oh, my God, oh, my God, she mentioned your name. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You know? Damn. So I went up to her afterwards, and I said, hey, I'm Kwaku. And she goes, oh, you start, you know, said hello and did my told her, you know, you said something about my photo, and she goes, yeah, I love your photo. I said, oh, great. I said, I'm going to be in New York. I'd love to show you my work. And she goes, you come to New York, show me your work. So that's how it kind of started. And so when I graduated college, that was in like, a, that was in September. And during the whole year, I would send her pictures. I would try to check in with her. And I was shooting mostly black and white. And then she said she had to shoot color yep. to really work in New York. Because, mm. you know, editorial, they want color. Yep. So... Uh, when I got to New York, when I got to New York, finally, I showed her my work, and she gave me a job. This is right when the New York, this is right when the internet was starting to really happen. It's like 1995, 96. It was dial up. When you're dial up, I have one phone line. People can't get in touch with you. Yeah. You would go busy. Your phone line. Yeah. So they were trying to. I was on. The, I was online doing America Online, whatever. My friend and I, and. Little did I know, New York Times Magazine was calling me to give me a job on Friday. They couldn't reach me until Monday or Tuesday. We can't reach you. What's going on? I'm like, oh, I must have been on the internet. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fourth email. So they waited because people were a lot. People waited back then. Yeah. There wasn't email back then. Yeah, it's like. And um, she, that was my first job. So I got the job and I, I was, oh, my God, this is great. I'm working, working. It was like $350. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God. They don't give you a job every day. So um, I started assisting. And I worked for Mark Baptiste oh, wow. because he was doing fashion. I really wanted to do fashion back then. And I worked for him for like two months, three months. Mm. And I worked for another mm. still photographer from another RIT grad who, who told me to come work with him. And I did that once or twice. I couldn't do it because I wasn't in, into his work. Yeah. And um, I just tried to show my work around. And mm. then I went to Eddie Adams' workshop in that, that, that fall. And I met all these great photo editors at Eddie Adams Workshop. I got accepted. I applied. I got accepted. And when I won the main prize there for commercial photography, and the Entertainment Weekly gave me a job. Wow. So when I left that workshop, I had a grant for $2,500, and, and I had a job. And then when I got back to New York, I got another job. And then it started, started happening like that, Village Voice, Entertainment Weekly, Forbes, um, all these magazines, you know, Time Out. All these little things started happening that way. I was doing a lot of editorial. It wasn't a lot of money, but it kept me going. And when I finally got the grant money from the Eddie Adams workshop, I mean, Kodak gave me a grant for $2,500. Uh, I, I bought new portfolios. That's awesome. And so I had three portfolios to send out in the city. Because before then, there was the internet. You had to drop the portfolio off. Yeah. So if you drop your portfolio off on a Tuesday, you don't get it back until a week or two weeks later. Yep. So I made sure I bought three portfolios. That's how I kind of started. Wow, so is, this, so is this kind of hitting that pavement, and is this kind of, you start shooting, your kind of name gets out there, kind of word of mouth pretty much early on? Back then, it was a lot of word of mouth, because my first job was for New York Times Magazine, so everyone in New York saw it. Mm. So it, it was a help, it was having her give me a break, totally opened the door up for other people, like Parade Magazine, 
because that, that was the pinnacle back then. Yeah. And then I, you know, if you weren't doing fashion, it was a kind of like one of the, it was a great way in. Yeah. Um, and then the music, I started working for the source and vibe and all those magazines and hip hop was just coming on and becoming really big. Hip hop, hip hop was big, but it wasn't overly commercialized as it is today. Mm. So back in the early nineties, like before Puffy, it wasn't commercialized like it is. Yeah. Then Puffy came on the scene and hip hop got really big with the Fugees and all this stuff. So it was a great time in 95, 96, 97. They were shooting so many hip hop CD covers. A lot of those bands didn't come out, but I shot a lot of those covers. Wow. Was, what, what, that, was, what, that, that was good money to get you through the tough times of editorial. Well, yeah, yeah, because I was back still in the days of like CDs and like Tower Records and stuff. So if you got like a CD cover yeah. job, that's almost like basically like an advertising gig pretty much, right? Well, back then the rates were $1,500 to maybe $4,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's still good. But, but when you're 25 years old, you're like, that's hey. great. You're 25 years old. You're shooting two, three TVs a month. Damn. That's that you're and you're you know you're you have no dependents. You're single. Yeah. That's great money. Yeah, he's keep keeping the train so, on the track. I, yeah, and, it, and I put I kept putting the money back in the business. Put the money back in the business. And I was growing my business, you know. Yeah. And just traveling and shooting. It's like it's a grind. I was doing like maybe seventy five to hundred jobs a year back then. Damn. In the nineties, and then it just you know. Editorial could be you could do two editorials a day if you were lucky. Damn, yeah, it's a lot more magazines. Uh, now it's like every other a lot month. more magazines. <laughs> now every month it's like another one's yeah. folding. It's like oh man. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's changed a lot. It's horrible, but you know. Yeah, everything's changed. And was like like looking at your work, you do a lot of interesting stuff. Like like obviously you do a lot of commercial stuff, editorial. Um, but was like shoot photographing celebrities was like that always a goal for you or like what were you kind of like I know you mentioned you were kind of in interested in fashion but like how do you kind of like narrow down what you wanted to photograph I guess I mean it, this is you know I I gotta know I got into the music thing I wanted to do fashion but it was really hard for me to do fashion in the nineties mm. it's really hard to break into. I started working for French Vogue. People, little people know that. I was working for French Vogue doing a couple of assignments, and then my editor got laid off or something. Yep. Then I had a big little fashion shoot I did for Marabella. It was like eight pages, and then Marabella went under. So, and then I, you know, I kept getting music, so I started going more into the music direction. So that's what was in my portfolio. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of time. I wasn't testing like I should have been testing more. But I was, you know, just trying to survive. Mm. So the music thing took over, and the, you know, like I said, like hip hop wasn't mainstream. It yeah. became mainstream in the mid to late '90s yeah. when Born Hill, Fugees, Puffy, Biggie, it, they they started starring in movies and doing all this other stuff, you know. Yeah. So Hollywood, the images, they knew who they were. Yeah. Before Hollywood didn't know who Tribe Called Quest and these different, you know, Busta Rhymes. And, they didn't know back in the late eighties, early nineties. They didn't know who they were. Mm -hmm. They might have heard the album, but they didn't like put them in movies. Yeah. Then in like the late nineties, they started going into movies and more entertainment and more mainstream. Um, so the images went from being just music images to celebrity images. Yeah. Lauren Hill became, went from music star to celebrity overnight when she won all those Grammys. She was on you know America's radar. Yeah, I think I remember. Rihanna, I remember. I'm a, a story you told when you came to RAT. You photographed the Fugees, and I think, if I remember correctly, it was like a scenario where like 
it was like Wyclef, Praz were there, and then I think you had you had to wait like hours for Lauren DeHill to show up, if I remember correctly. And when I own my, I photographed Lauren DeHill multiple times. On the, the last time we photographed her with the Fugees, yep. yes, we had to wait. It was one of those things because you know sometimes the hair isn't right, sometimes the styling isn't right. You know that's where it comes down to being a politician again and helping and and figuring out not just your client because your client also. They're, they're just thinking about the um, the time and the getting the, a shot. They, they, they're spending, it was Essence Magazine, they were spending a lot of money to bring all these people from around the country down to Miami to shoot. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, as a photographer, you are put in a position sometimes where you have to be the one to have to try to help facilitate the production, to get it moving, get it going. Yeah, and you know we 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 all worked hard. We finally got her. We finally got her. You know, when she got on set, she was happy with what she needed to do with her hair and makeup. She pretty much did it herself, I think. Yeah, um, and it looked great. And um, you know, those are some, those are days. Some those are days that you ha- you learn a lot from. Yeah, because like, and because um, like, because like, how do you deal with like tough personalities or like tough PR? Because I'm sure you run into it. Um, like, you just kind of have to like take it chill, or like, what's your approach to dealing with people that like don't want to be there, uh, want to get out quick? Like, how do you kind of deal with those scenarios? Uh, I, I well, you have to. I think you have to have sympathy and empathy because sometimes they. You know, this is a job for them. This is their job. Yep. And we're all excited to photograph a lot of these celebrities. But at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, they, you know, not everyone wants to be photographed. They might be in a bad mood. They could have lost a part that day. We don't know what they're, what's going on in their head before they come to set, unless you have a personal relationship. And 99% of these people, I don't have a personal relationship with. Yep. So when they get to set, it's really important to kind of, you know, Read, read them a little bit, or I'll talk to their publicist and figure out what's going on. And sometimes they, you know, they're happy to be there. Sometimes they're not. If they're not happy to be there, you try to make, you try to do everything in your power to make them feel comfortable. Or you might not want to and get that kind of disgruntled kind of photograph. Yeah. I know photographers that do that as well. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to what you want out of it, and it's also not just you; it's your client what they're trying to get out of it. Yeah. So you just have to learn how to be a, go back to being a politician. And learning how to navigate all those different personalities and what they're asking for, yeah. and then getting what you want out of it, and you have to come up on the on the fly and figure out something to get them to do to um, to get them on set and be get the photographs, get the job done. Like last week, I was shooting someone, and the, the, the head of the studio came up to me. This is a movie studio, and they were like, "She's in a really bad mood. She just want to be here." And I'm like, oh shit, you know, excuse yeah. my language. I'm like, oh my god, I think she'll tell me that now, yeah. ten minutes before she gets here. Yeah. You know, it was Valentine's Day, you know, and I'm like, Damn. okay, how can I? Uh, what can we do? And, you know, I get it. She might have had a bad day or whatever it was. Yep. Right, sick. We don't know. So she gets upset. You know, she's walking in. I'm thinking, uh, okay, I saw some roses on the table. It's so like took one of the roses, she didn't see me, took one of the roses off the table. When she got there, I gave it to her. I said, oh, happy Valentine's Day. Wow. And that, she was really happy. Damn, Quark. Yeah, and I, was, I wasn't planning on doing that. I wasn't planning on doing that. <laughs> I, just, I just had to do something. To you have to snap them out. Snap yeah. them out of their mind. Yeah, you got to put... You, you, you know, gotta, whatever they're thinking, get them out. You got to pull a rabbit out of a hat, man. You, <laughs> did, you did it, Quarku. Yeah, you have to sometimes. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And, you know, like, another thing I think a lot of photographers struggle with is, like, 
you know, trying to find your voice, your kind of creative approach, aesthetic, um, like, uh, did it take you a while to find your voice as a photographer? Is it something that's continually changing? And like, do you, you spend a lot of time thinking about like the, the aesthetic of your work or how, 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 do, how do you kind of find your voice, you think? Uh, I don't, I, I struggle with that all the time. I mean, I don't think I have a voice. Yeah. I don't know. I just do what I do. Yep. Some people say they like my images. Someone's described my images as uh, the, the modern Norman, Norman Rockwellian kind of feel. I'm like, really? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you kind of, I just do what I do, you know, and I just keep pushing it. I, I sometimes look at trends. Um, I kind of see how I can implement those trends into my workflow. If it works, it doesn't. It is, you know, I just, I read a lot. I, I, I totally look at imagery constantly and Instagram's great for that, but sometimes it can be daunting because it can easily put you in depression if you can go too far down that black hole. You're like, oh my God, my work sucks. All right. Man, that's good to hear. Like even you kind of, you, you can go down that, that rabbit hole of kind of comparing your work to like other photographers and stuff. Like I think, I think it's just a trap like everyone kind of falls down. Like, cause Cause as you know, like Instagram is, Instagram is just a highlight reel. It's not real life. It's just like anybody. Yeah, can... it's, a highlight. it's the best. It's curated. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely, I definitely feel that yes, we all artists do have some, um, inse- they all have insecurities. I know so many artists and we all talk about that. It's like, we all admire each other's work. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's part of the artist's journey mm-hmm. is to question if you're good enough or to look at other work and, and be inspired by it. Yeah. But all you have to always remember that each of us are on our own personal journey. And you have to just keep pushing and keep working hard and keep trying to produce the best images that you can and not try to copy other people. Or you can be inspired by other people, but don't change your whole career because someone's using a ring flash all of a sudden or someone's using a, a special filter all of a sudden or whatever it is, whatever the hot trend is, mm. don't, don't go too far down that rabbit hole yeah. because we have to remember, uh, you know, there's very few chase makers. There's a lot of followers. Yep. A lot of people jump in the bandwagon when the one photographer is hot. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Cause a lot of people can't, can't pick something. They just have to, follow what's hot so they feel like they're hot that's how it works it's always been that way very few people actually have the taste to say this person is great let's get this person on yeah it's definitely it's like because like you said you're talking about like trends and stuff it's like easy to hop on those and I, i've definitely felt that pressure before but i think it like i, I would feel like I think you just kind of have to have like patience and like, like try to find your vision, have patience with it and like hope people will respond to it, you know? Um, because like as you're working as a commercial photographer and obviously you're doing this as a living, like have you ever felt pressure that you needed to like create work that like you think clients would be attracted to like be it, I don't know if you want to shoot for Nike or, or whatever company it may be. Have you ever felt like you needed to like cater your work and like, create stuff that would, would attract them or do you just kind of put out the work you're inspired by and hope people respond to it? That's a great question. Great question. I mean, definitely. I mean, I've been doing this 25 or so years. Yep. So for me, I've been through all of the above. I was, I was like, when I first got out of school, I was like, Oh, I didn't do work like this to get work like that. Yeah. And you, and, and then you realize 
when you get to work, you get to work like that, the trends changed. Mm-hmm. So, and also you can be like, for instance, there was a huge thing for the huge, there was a while when everyone was shooting. I've seen the trends go from English photographers in New York being hot to German photographers in New York being hot to, you know, whatever, you know, fine art photographers in New York being hot to whatever. I've seen it all, the trends happen, right? Mm. To, you know, all of a sudden it's, what is the new hot trend? Whatever the new hot trend is, it's always going to be a trend. You have to realize that there's always going to be a trend. Yep. Um, and if you, if you, you, there's nothing wrong with taking something from that trend that inspires you. But we know, I think we all have to understand, like you can take the fine art approach and make it all personal work where you're trying to do mostly personal work. But you have to remember once you put that personal work into the, uh, into the commercial atmosphere, that kind of changes your personal work. Yeah. And then everyone else is going to think it's a trend if it's successful. And everyone else is going to jump in and try to do the same thing. And next thing you know, your work is not your work anymore. Everyone else is doing your work. Yeah. So it's kind of, I've seen that happen with fine art photographers. They're like, oh my God, assistants I hired, they're doing exactly what I do. <laughs> and they're getting work. Yep. So, I mean, so it really comes down to if you have, if you want to stay in a commercial field for longevity, you better have passion for making photography. Mm. Passion, passion is what's going to get you through the tough times. You're not always going to make money, so you have to realize there's going to be ups and downs. Mm. You have to be fine with that. You better be doing your own personal projects. I don't care what your personal projects are. You just need to make them personal for yourself. Yeah, it's one so thing. So when I... you go into that, yeah, no, no, keep going. So when you go into the your meeting and you're showing your work. People are going to feel your energy and they're going to be inspired by your love for what you're doing. Mm. So if you're showing only celebrity work, when I go to meetings, I sometimes, you know, I learn very quickly. I can't do it all the time, but I always try to show my commercial work yeah. and my personal work. Yeah. So they can find, see that you're an artist and that helps sell you. Yeah. It keeps you alive. Because when we were in art school, we weren't making money. We were just taking photographs. We were doing something we love. Yeah. You can't lose that love that for life yeah. and for passion of making history. Yeah, that's one thing I always kind of enjoyed about your work and like a lot of the photographers I like is that like uh, you look at your work, like obviously you do all your commercial stuff, but you're always shooting like uh, you did like a whole series on like, I think it was like VW buses. For You did that for years. Like you just, Anytime you saw a VW bus, you'd shoot it. And then like some of my favorite photos that you shoot, I don't know if they're like, you, you like photograph your doctor, or like your dentist, or this like random people. I don't know if they're like set up shoots, but a lot. Of, it just looks like your day to day life. The people that you kind of interact with, pretty much, is, is that kind of some of that stuff you shoot? It's this, those doctors. Or... Well, I mean, I think, like you know, because what happened to me, I guess, was I was doing so much celebrity and music to celebrity, you know, famous people photographs imagery. Yeah. That it kind of got boring to me. Yeah. And as much as I love doing it. I kind of needed something else. So I started getting, I was, I had to go back into my personal work. And one way to get back, I love street, street photography. I always have a camera on me. I started making portraits of people who are in my life mm. and creating a new work, some work out of that new portfolio. And that helped get me advertising lifestyle work, which no one thought I could get. And I got, mm. you know, and for healthcare to certain types of campaigns Crate and Barrel, you name it. I did Crate and Barrel, Verizon, yeah. uh, AT&T, 
you know, I mean, so many different types of Fortune 500 companies were, Fortune 100 companies were hiring me to do lifestyle campaigns, which yep. was great. It was great. And then I started doing another portfolio. I was photographing people in my studio, 8x10, this natural light, just people I thought were interesting I saw on the street. I would invite them into my studio. And, I, you know, I think it comes down to Abaddon, I think, once said he took pictures every day. Yeah. You have to take pictures every day. Yeah. You have to take pictures every day. That's all there is to it. Yep. Because, you know, it's in, it's in that, 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 that work, that minutia, that, 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 that everyday practice is where you find the breakthrough that you need in your personal photography and also in your commercial photography. Yeah. So when I show up on set, I bring all that practice into that commercial project. Mm. And that's what gets me through those long days. That's what the keeps my energy up because you can be on set for eight hours. A lot of people can't deal with taking photographs for eight hours. No, they can. They break yeah. ten hours. They break twelve yeah. hours. They're done. Yeah, and the client sees that. The client will see. Oh, I had a client. We were shooting, and they said to me when I I learned this very early on when I was shooting that a client said to me once, they go they told, they didn't tell me this. They told my agent. I was like twenty eight. Uh, we really love Kwaku, but you know, after twelve, after uh, ten hours on set or something, we saw his energy go down. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, really? After ten hours? Yeah, I'm seeing here because you get there at seven o'clock, yep. and you're done shooting at sometimes eight o'clock because you get to load, pick, yep. you know, build your sets or whatever. Keep, you know, because they have these gallery shoots. You're doing like sometimes twelve different people with two outfits a day. Are you are you doing you know two you doing, outfits? Or are you doing a five day shoot? I've, I've assisted those shoots where it's like 10, 12 hours a day. By by Thursday, everyone on the on the crew is ready to like jump off a bridge. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's why it comes down to the photographer. They are they are the captain of the ship. Yeah, you have to keep that energy level to a, you know manageable. Everyone can get through those long days, yeah. and it's a, it takes a long time to learn that. That's learning how to. That's you have to be in control of the set on all aspects. Because if someone's tired, they're overworked, and like I just got off a five day job, yeah. And I, you know, I know when I go to those five day jobs when I was younger, I would party every night. I can't do that anymore. Hell no. I go to my hotel, I get I get a massage, <laughs> or I go, you know, make sure I have to see some friends, yeah. And I keep, you know, I'm not drinking, and I doing. I just I because. You have to be on set the next day. It'd be it's too much. Your feet hurt. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah, it's like uh yeah, it's like going to war, man. You gotta you gotta you gotta get that rest. Going you, to gotta, war. you gotta be you gotta be prepared. Um but like when you're when you're like we're talking about you you're shooting editorial, you're shooting all this stuff and uh, everything's going. How do you make that jump from like uh editorial into like commercial advertising? Because I know you, eventually you ended up partnering with Stockland Martell, um, which is no longer around, but at the time they were like the top agency, uh, reps around. Um, when did you kind of partner with the rep and is that kind of when you, you saw your uh, like commercial advertising stuff start to pick up or? Well, it's interesting. You're, you're, you're never going to make that jump. Yep. You're always going to have to do editorial. Yep. If you love to doing the photography, you always need to be doing editorial because editorial one provides you with self promotion because mm -hmm. it goes and everyone sees it. Two, it gives you, it, get, it it creates new work for your portfolio to help get the advertising. 
three is creatively fulfilling for you. For me, it's definitely creatively fulfilling doing editorial because I can do whatever I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's important for me. I don't get paid. I don't get paid much money, but I get to be really creative. You know. And then, th- and then four, it's just, it's just fun. Hell <laughs> it's yeah, just man. It's a, like. it's a, yeah. It's but, a, but, but, you know, but, you know, when you go into, you know, Saka Martel, they, they, they did like us, they did love us through editorial, but, you know, they were very, they, they were a commercial agency. Mm-hmm. So they helped get your work out there to advertisers, which I'm so grateful for. Because, you know, I wasn't, I was getting advertising jobs here and there, but I wasn't getting as many. And what Saka Martel helped me break, they helped me break down that door of um, getting mainstream advertising. And that's another reason why I changed my work a little bit, because I wanted to get more of that mainstream advertising, because that helps you, you know, live. Mm. And, and, and it's hard to maintain it. You know, it's hard. And was uh, was Stockholm Martel? Was that your first rep? And were you like actively like marketing your work to them, or like how did that kind of relationship start? No, they weren't my first rep. I mean, they weren't. I did advertising before Stockholm Martel. Yeah, Stockholm Martel was my third agent. Got my it. first agent was Jennifer Benton. Mm. She was uh, she worked in music industry. Yep. I met her through George Pitts at Vibe. George Pitts passed away. Oh yeah, legend. Jennifer Benton. Had Clay, she had Clay Patrick McBride. Yep. You know, RIT professor now. Yeah. Great photographer. The man. Myself. Jules Allen, um, a guy who was one of the first Photoshop guys, forgot his name, Sasha somebody. Oh. He was like one of the best Photoshop Yeah, that guys guy, ever. I totally know. He was, like a, was he like a British guy? Yeah, British or Australia. I don't know, something. He was from Europe. Yeah, he was. But he was incredible. I really loved his work. Yep. I was like, I can't be like him. He's so great. <laughs> you know, but he, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah. And then she had um, a, a woman, um, ah, top of my head. I would, it would get to me. She it's was awesome. Right. Yeah. She was awesome music sign for yeah. So that was that was my first experience with agencies, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, I was coming. To, I was shooting in New York and Los Angeles back and forth once a week. I was flying like crazy, yeah. and uh, I met a, a photographer. I mean, an agent through Timothy White. He was a big time celebrity photographer doing a lot of movie posters. Yeah, and um, he said, meet, "Meet my my agent," and I met him. You know, established a relationship. And he so he kind of took me under his wing for the L.A. portion of my career. Yeah. He um, introduced me to all the studios. And back then, there was the Internet. People don't realize I had a Thomas Guide, and I would take a Thomas Guide out, drive around the city, trying to figure out L.A., in a rental car, and going to these meetings. It was, yeah. But, you know, I was happy to do it. No, it's amazing. So I did it. And uh, that's half the battle is showing up. Hell yeah. Half the battle is showing up. Yep. And uh, then I went to stock, and then that agency went under, and then I went to another agency, Art Mix. Yeah. And Art Mix, you know, I whatever, I stayed with them for a couple of years, and then I went to stock. I went on my own, and then I went to Stock and Martel. Yeah. So I, stock and Martel was my fourth agent. Now I'm on my fifth agent. And like. And I learned pretty early that you shouldn't jump around agencies too much. Oh, because no one wants to work with you because they think you're just gonna jump shit. It's just like they they yeah, want. It's, it's like a marriage. Like a marriage. Yeah. You know? Yep. No, it's interesting. And like with all the experience you've had with reps, like what is it you're looking for when you're going to partner with someone? Um, because I think maybe people like younger photographers listening, a lot of these reps 
if you want to be on their roster, a lot of them, you have to pay $10,000, $15,000 a year just to be on the roster. And then on top of that, they're taking like whatever it might be, 20 30%. Um, what is it you're looking for when you're going to partner with someone because it is an investment and it's, it's your livelihood. So like, what is it you're looking for? That's a great question. Um, the first thing you should look for is if you don't rob you. My second agent took $119,000 from me. How? That's I remember what... <laughs> exactly enough. Yeah. $119,000 they robbed me for. And when you're 30 years old, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. I was... Yeah. And so when, you, so when you're looking for agents, I think you have to do your research. You talk to the retirees. You, you find out who is on their roster. Yeah. And you call at least half of them. Mm-hmm. And you say, look, I'm thinking about this agency. And, you know, maybe they're not going to all talk to you, but someone's going to talk to you. And you ask them, hey, how, you know, you ask them about how they approach the philosophy behind showing work and to getting paid your money. Mm-hmm. What are their paying, what are their billing practices like? Yep. At this age, but I didn't ask those questions when I was younger. Yep. You know, I just was so happy to be with a good agent. Yep. And I thought my second agent was great, but they ended up robbing you. Damn. And then you then you get depressed, and it can it can it really affect. I thought about quitting the industry when I, I had no money. I was like you know I was thirty years old. I was owed all this money, and what do you do? Yeah. How do you fight that? Yeah, you got no money. You, you no one teaches you that. Sorry. Yeah, it's not like you can get a lawyer because you got no money. So you're just kind of like back. To, yeah. Back I, I couldn't get a lawyer, and then they then 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 they, you know you, you can't go in there and beat them up. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but you can't go in there. Then you're never going to get your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do so that. So you're kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not that kind of guy. I know. I know. <laughs> can't go there. Can't, if you go in there and confront them and you're fighting and yeah. can you can you get locked out? You know, you, you should, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not the Sopranos. So you know, I kind of um, I had to I had to eat that. Yeah. You know, I had to eat it. I tried to get my money back. I had to eat it. Yeah, it was hard. And it, he robbed. He didn't just rob me. He robbed all the tarifers. Mm. Like a half million dollars he robbed from tarifers. And that was one, and he's not working in the industry anymore, yep. but it's like, wow. And I hear I, this happened a lot of times. Yep. And no one in the industry really talks about that stuff because a lot of these people reinvent themselves and open up another agency. Yep. So you have to really understand who's running these agencies. Yep. It happens in the modeling industry. It happens in um, a lot of these creative talent agencies. Mm. Um, so when I went to Saka Martel, my main thing was that, you know, I, I, ta- I called it, Walker, Walker, uh, Walker Yost, mm-hmm. you know, he recommended me for them and Timothy White. Yeah. And those guys have really, you know, strong, stable, you know, prosperous careers. They, they, they killed it, both those photographers. So they introduced me to Bill and I, you know, called Bill and I went in to see them. I got interviewed by the whole staff there, Bill Marine. And, you know, I had, they said, okay, we're thinking about it. And, you know, like um, a few days later, Bill calls me after I left. You know, and I was running the studio. I had a full-time staff back then. I had bookkeeper, studio manager, assistant. You know, I was like, I had like mouths to feed. I had to make at least thirty grand a month. That's why mouths to feed. Damn, that's you that, know, that's pressure. Had my studio. That's a lot of pressure. That's pressure. Yeah, a lot of pressure with no agent. So I got a job. It was uh, it was uh, a movie poster came in. And I said, I really don't want to negotiate my fee because I'm one of those guys who just want to shoot. So okay. I'm like, I, I will shoot for free because if the creative's good, I'll shoot for free because I like creative. I want to be creative. I want yeah. to make images. Yep. So, you know, I called Bill up and said, I have this job on my table with Fast and Furious 2. Damn. And I said, hey, I, you want to handle this? 
And he said, okay. He goes, before that, he called me and he says, called me a couple days before that. He goes, hey, you're not calling me. Why aren't you courting me? I said, what, what do you mean why I'm not courting you? He goes, every retired records me. And I, said, <laughs> I, I said, you know, I'm sorry, man. I have a studio to run. So you know, I'm not courting you. I've got to get work. Hey, man. So when they, came, when they came in, I gave it to him, and that was a start. That was, he goes, well, if I want to take this job, I went 30%. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, 30%. That's how it goes. Fine. That's how it goes. And, you know, and, and, you know, and some of them do want you to be in their advertising books, and there's some, you know, this, main, this fee of $15,000, whatever it is, agencies charge. A lot of them got that from Saka Martel. A lot of them learned how to, you know, the, you know it's, a lot of expenses are put on the photographer. I understand that. Yeah. Um, you have to make a decision as a young creative what you're willing to live with and what you're willing to not live with. If you think that agent is going to get you, if the agent is going to get you enough money to pay for that whatever annual membership fee and that whatever percentage they're charging you, and then maybe you know that's something you should think about. But if they're you know, if they think it's going to benefit you to be within that group of photographers yeah. and the connections that this group of photographers open up for you. Yeah, because basically... Then it may be worth it. Yeah, because essentially you're partnering with a rep to to, to partner with them to, with to, to build on their relationships to hopefully partner with new clients and hopefully they can, like, negotiate your fee. And so that's, that's really the main reason the partnership, right? Like, this kind of building... Well, new... I think it's, it's opening doors... The fee is so important, but more importantly, more important than the fee is usage, negotiating usage and following up on usage. Taco Martel was brilliant at negotiating usage and following up when usage was due you yep. and getting you paid. Taco Martel, what they, what the, I can, I mean, I, I really appreciate that they, help me run my photo business better because their accounting practices were so on point. I only did not get paid on one job in all my time at Saka Martel. I was there for 15 years. Damn. I didn't get paid for one job in 15 years. That's because the agency went out and they robbed everybody, that one agency, another agency. Yeah. So, but they really worked it. And when they couldn't, when someone took six months, seven months pay, they always figured out a way to put those clients on payment plans. Damn. People don't realize that. Some people will get on payment plans of photography. Yeah. So it's they were they helped me do my internal billing and how to do it correctly, which I still use today. And I really credit Bill Marine for creating a system that made sure we got paid as artists. Mm. And a lot of these agencies come and go. Yep. They can be hip entertainment, hip, you know, Instagram agencies, but they might not understand how to deal with the money. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important part is your artist getting paid. No, that, that's amazing. Uh, have you noticed, like, I don't know, obviously you're seeing way bigger jobs than I do, um, but have you noticed, is usage something that is, is still common, or do you find a lot more clients just want to kind of, like, work for hire, buy out, just kind of own the assets? Um, do you find that is usage still pretty common in a lot of the jobs you're doing, or is it something that you, it's kind of going away a little bit? Every job is different yeah i mean for certain commercial jobs they want to buy out but they still have to pay usage for that but they still have to they still have to you know your agent incorporates what that usage would be for the buyout yeah so they want unlimited rights unlimited time we need to pay you more than what you usually get for your fee you understand mm-hmm. so your agent 
a good agent understands how to negotiate those types of deals. Yeah. Sometimes in the usage. So every job is different. And I think I you I you I think it's important a great agent helps to educate the client and the users. Because not there's a lot of young art buyers, a lot of people clients who don't understand how it works. They just think they hire a photographer and it's over. Mm-hmm. They don't understand how the system works and why the image and the rights of the image. Who keeps the rights? You can get the usage. Who keeps the rights to the images too? Yeah. There's all these different ways you can negotiate the deal. Mm-hmm. And a good agent, Saka Martel, I think they're really brilliant at figuring out. Bill was, you know, probably the, one of, I think probably the best agent in the photo industry. One of the top three. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah, they, sure. they had. And I'm telling you, I mean, for commercial photography, he he, he understood it. So I, I still talk to him and, you know, he's chilling in Costa Rica right now, having a good <laughs> retirement. That's good for him. I mean, I look forward to when I can do that. Yep. But, uh, yeah. it's, you know, it, 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 it's about educating the client. No, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, one shoot I was excited to talk and to doing you. doing it with Yeah, for sure. It's just, uh, that's how you, they, they build that respect. Um, and, you know, one shoot I was excited to talk to you about, uh, you photographed Michelle and Barack Obama. I think you photographed them a couple of times. I was just kind of curious, like, your experience photographing the fir- them the first time. Was that, like, the first uh, president you had photographed? And how did you kind of approach that shoot? Well, I met, well, I first photographed Michelle Obama when she, I photographed Oprah's Legends Ball. She was one of the people in the uh, group image of African-American women. She was one of them. Yeah. So that was the first time I photographed her. And I met Barack Obama during that time, that few days at the Bacara Resort. Um, little did I know he was going to be running for real president or for office. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, a few, you know, maybe a year later, I'm not sure, a year later maybe, he was announcing and Ebony Magazine called me and said, you want to photograph this senator, young senator, and his wife. And, you know, this wasn't a huge celebrity. No one, you know, really paid that much attention to it. But I said, yeah, I want to do it because I really want to make pictures also that resonate with African-American culture because mm-hmm. I grew up with Ebony Essence in those magazines. So for me, it's important to show myself in the work and be part of that conversation and that, and that narrative that has to be out there. Yeah. So I said, yes, you know, not paying any money. I, I flew out to Chicago, you know, with one guy, we, we shot it. It was great. And then he runs for president, and I got another magazine called me, another magazine called me, and then he becomes president. And next thing I know, you know, magazines are calling me to photograph him. So I had a record of photographing with him, wow. him and his wife. Yeah. And that's how. It, and, but then the pressure is even harder, even more pressure because it's the White House, and you, I never photographed in the White House before. Yep. So I had to learn the dynamics of working in those constraints of how much you can bring in, how much time you have. Yeah, five to ten minutes could be shots. Damn. So that helped me prepare for a lot of things. I mean, I guess Oprah really helped me prepare for Barack and Michelle Obama. Because Oprah said to me one time when I was photographing her, she goes, if you can't get it in five minutes, I can hire someone. She goes, if you can't get it in five minutes, you don't need to be here. Because that's what it takes. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, my God. But I do remember Annie would sometimes only get five minutes, ten minutes with people. Yeah. When, they're, when they're, these people are... Think about it. If you're the president of the United States, how much is that one hour worth? Yeah, a lot. How much is that one hour worth? Yeah. Billions. Yeah. Millions. So yeah. five minutes, 10 minutes, you get 12 minutes. 
Yeah. I got like 15 minutes max with Barack Obama once. That was great. Yeah. It was great. That's no, amazing. Because they have so many things happening. Yeah. So many things are happening around the world that, you know, that's so. But, but Oprah totally prepared me for those types of shoots. So when I go with it, I get hired a lot of times because they have to know they're going to get that shot. They have to know they're going to get something iconic out of that little period of time they have mm-hmm. because some of these celebrities, they don't have any time or they don't want to be photographed. Yeah. So you have to be able to, someone has to be able to get in there, get in their head, and get, get the shot and get out yeah. in 10 minutes. And I love those kind of shoes. Because yeah, you, those shoes pay a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you either get it or you don't. <laughs> you, you, you enjoy that challenge now. It's not, it's not something you, you're nervous about. It's just a matter of like planning and executing. Because one, one of the photos I remember you showing when you came to RAT, it was uh, you photographed Oprah and a bunch of like, it was like, must have been like 50 women. And you had like stages and it was like in this green grass. And it was like a huge group shot. Uh, I forget what it was for, but like, oh, that was Oprah's Legends. That, yeah. That's Oprah's Legends. That's where we first met. Yeah, Michelle Obama. Yeah, Obama. yeah. With the, that yeah. was that was hard. Yeah, because like looking at the one thing that's really impressive with your work is you're very good at shooting large groups, which I find to be a real challenge. Uh, photographing one person is hard enough. Like, how do you approach those big group shoots when you got 50, sometimes 100 people almost? Because it's like so much going on at once. Um, I'm going to tell you something. I'm scared to death every time I shoot a large group. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm like one, I mean, I, one person's easy, two people, three people. I don't think I photograph groups like well. Really? I think, you're, I think you're great at it, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to get out of that bleacher look. It's so hard. We have groups because everyone wants to be seen. Yeah. And I just do the best I can. But, you know, just getting everyone to look good and getting their attention. Yeah. You really ha- I have to channel some weird energy. I don't know where it comes from yeah. just to make these people pay attention. But it's definitely, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I can't sleep the night before. Um, I'm nervous. I, you know, I, but I know I have to do it. You know, I, I signed up for it. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. Yep. It's like for me, I'm afraid of. Um, I have my fear. What am I afraid? I'm afraid of public speaking. Interesting. It's always been a fear of mine. Really? Yeah. So I always make sure whenever someone asks me to do public speaking, I do it because I have to get over that fear of public speaking. I would never have thought that because when so you I, when I, you when you came to RIT, it was you were you were great at it. Like you, you, cause you had, when you talked about your work, you had enth- enthusiasm about it. So it's really interesting to hear you, you say that. Cause I would never have picked up on that. Well, I, I totally do. And I, but you know, when I get there, I work my way into it. When I, I get, you know, I feel like to go to the bathroom a lot. All these different <laughs> things happen to me beforehand. And I get like these butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. And I, but you know, I make because sh- I because I, I care so much about it. Oh yeah. I don't want to look like a fool. I want my audience to be entertained. I care so much about it. Um, and I and for me, I just work on my public speaking. I try to do at least two or th- one or two a year. Yeah. Just to be better at it. Cause I admire people who are great at public speaking. Yeah. And I, I, I have great communicators. Yeah. So, I I say yes to things just because it's my it's my big fear, and I'm afraid of heights. All right, all right. That's understandable. And 
even at this point in your your career, do you like are, do you walk away from every shoot like completely satisfied, or are there times when you kind of like second guess yourself, like oh I should have tried for this, I try to push for this, or like uh, uh, this... Oh, always, always. Yeah. Great question. I always am dissatisfied. Yep. And I and maybe once I might be happy, yep. but a lot of the times I'm like, oh my god, I could have done better there. Why didn't I do that? Why did I use that lens? Why did my depth of field off? Or yep. all, you're all, that's part of the, the artist. That's part of the process. Mm-hmm. That's what helps you go to the next level because you want it. You're constantly learning. So I, I used to beat myself up all the time. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, either I, 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 hey, it's just a photo shoot. You just do the best you can do, and you have to move on from it. Okay. And you're always going to find it. You're always going to find something in the photograph that you're not, you don't like. I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth. I mean, these huge photographers, they always find something they don't like in their photographs. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, the, it's just part of the, the nature of the beast. We always want to make it the best it can be and make it perfect, but none of them are perfect. No. It's just, you shoot it, and then you're and that's, on, you're that's on the next one. That's a beautiful part of the journey. Yeah, you just keep building on it. And shoot it, go to the next one. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. I'll let you go, Kwaku. I really appreciate your time. Um, another shoot I was excited to talk to you about. Uh, you photographed all, I think, all the key art and like the movie poster for Black Panther. Um, I don't know, or the photos on your site. I don't know if it was for the key art, but I was kind of curious uh, how it was working with Marvel and this the cast of like that movie that was like really incredible. Um, like, how do you kind of approach uh, those? Because like those entertainment shoots, like. Uh, like, how do you approach those? Because, like, do they they obviously are giving you a lot of creative direction on a shoot like that, I would imagine. Um, well, first off, I didn't do the key art. All right. There's another photographer they hired to do the key art, which yeah. was great. I love, I, you know, I was just ha- I did an interview with um, Disney, like, yeah. two weeks before. Yeah, Disney's never seen my work before, mm-hmm. so I went into Disney, showed my work, and they really resonated. They really resonated. They liked certain things about it, and they called me. and goes, "Do you want to do the publicity for Black Panther?" I said, "You must be crazy." Of course I do. Yeah. So um, they flew me down to Atlanta with my team, and they had me do certain setups. And they said that they were partnering with Entertainment Weekly magazine, and they needed a group. They needed two group shots: a group of three and a group of the whole cast. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be hard, <laughs> you know? Like, another group shot, you know? <laughs> and, you know? And I'm like, okay. So, and then they wanted me to do portraits on black and then portraits on white, and then I was shooting motion too. Damn. So I had like four or five different things I had to do, and I totally, you know, decided to do it. And the pictures came out great. I, I mean, the group shot. I love the group shot. It's the only group shot because the key art guy did the key art. He didn't do a group shot. Okay. And, you know, I did a group shot, and everyone loved that group shot. They remember the group shot, and that's, like, the only group shot of the Black Panther original cast. Yeah. So, for me, I, as much as I wanted it, or what I loved to have done the poster, I'm happy he did the poster because we need to spread the love around. You know what I mean? It needs to be spread around. I'm not, I can't be the only photographer shooting yeah. Black Panther. There should be few photographers shooting it, you know? No doubt. So, I, I did what I can do, and I think a lot of people resonated with the images I made of them. Yeah. So they, they helped me a lot. They helped me out in my career. And then Disney gave me The Lion King, which yeah. is great. That's amazing. So that was, that was a hard one. Yeah. That was definitely because we're doing CGI with uh, photography. So I, I think it's really um, these campaigns, certain campaigns have multiple pieces. And uh, like from Black Panther, working with Marvel to working with Disney, 
uh, it really comes back to working with Disney. Yeah. They are, they're incredible creatives. They really treat their artists or their people they're hiring as art, you know, vendors, like photographers and artists. They really treat them well with respect, and they really give you that, that space to be creative, mm. which I love. Well, that's good. Um, that's good to hear. And they're like, you need that? No problem. You need that? No, no problem. And then Marvel, on top of that, Marvel definitely, you know, they're, it's Marvel. I grew up reading Marvel comics. I was an X-Men fan, you know, Daredevil, you name it. Damn. So for me, it was, um, it was like a highlight of my career to be doing something like that. Hell yeah. I didn't know it was going to be that big. I, I didn't know it was going to be that big. Yeah. And I won't lie to you, it was like six, seven months before, I didn't think it was, I wasn't sure. Yeah. And I'm so happy to be part of these, you know, these epic shoots that really, you know, get out into the public, you know, zeitgeist and people kind of respond with it. You know, it's kind of, it's amazing. I'm, I can't be more grateful for it. You know, yeah. Disney has been, it's been an honor to work for those people. All, all my creators at Disney I work with, they're, they're fabulous people. They're great. Uh, and my team, they were loved it. You know, my team, we, I don't know, I have a great team of people that helped me. So, mm. No, it's amazing. Yeah, it was Good. just an incredible shot, and just the whole movie in general. It's amazing you got to be a part of it. Um, but I guess to kind of wrap up, like you've been doing this for a while. Like, what's kind of got you inspired these days? Like, what are you kind of hoping to work on this year? Like, anything uh, you kind of got in the pipeline that you're excited about, or what's kind of what's next for Kwaku? Um. Well, you know, my my main thing right now in my life is. You know, we my house was, you know, I was displaced from the Wolsey fire that hit, hit Malibu. So oh, wow. my house kind of got messed up. So I'm rebuilding my house yep. and my, my, my workspace. I had a studio. So I have not been living in my, working out of my studio. I'm working out of a, a you know, a temporary space, yep. which is hard. Yeah. So I don't have much time to do my, per I don't have my 8 by 10 camera set up. I don't have a lot of the things. I usually have at my disposal. Yep. So I, I'm really this year, 2020, the 2019 and 2020 are re, are rebuilding years for me mm -hmm. to rebuild my my photo environment, my my working space, my artistic space. And so once that's done, I'm you know trying to figure out my next project. I have a couple. All right. I'm working on, and uh, this more getting getting back into my personal work. That's right. what I really want to do, and I'm putting out a, I'm putting out a, you know, working on a script. Uh, I'm gonna get ready to put out, a, you know, short film, little things like that. You know, I'm doing a lot of motion. I'm doing so much motion and directing now, nice. which is just so great because um, it's just another extension of my uh, my creative vision. So I love, as much as I love photography, I really like directing, and I really like playing around in cinematography. Nice. That's been really fun. Well, I look forward to seeing it, and uh, Kwaku, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this, and for uh, people listening, if they want to check out more of your work, like, where's the best place for them to go? Um, you can go to uh, kwakuaustin.com, www.kwakuaustin.com, but if they want to get the behind the scenes where they see things about the process of photography, I have a blog that not very people know about called Art of Studio, Yeah. A R T. O F S T U D I O of artstudio.com. Yep. So they can see the behind the scenes. Yeah. Thinking process, the thought process behind a lot of the imagery and just things that are going on. I mean, I try to update it at least once a month, put something on there. 
it's, you know, I'm not as accurate as I should be, not as attentive, but we do put things on it. Uh, also, Instagram, Instagram, at Quarko, also on Instagram, I, I try to be active on that. But, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, social media is a lot of work. <laughs> it, is. it is, man. You do a good job out of it, though. You have, you're always putting some cool stuff up there. and uh, Yeah, but I'll link it and everything. And go check out the Kwaku shop. I'm, I actually really enjoy that on your website. You go on the Kwaku shop, you sell, like, you got like Ansel Adam books. Like, if you want to buy your old Deer Door, if you can go on there, it's kind of, it's just kind of, it's really cool. I like the shop. I'm trying to get, I'm, I kind of put the shop on hold for a while. Yeah. But I'm trying to get back into my shop and put more things on there. Yeah. And um, I really like the shop. I, I do want to do more with the Quacky Shop. Yeah. It's just the amount of time. I don't have a full time staff anymore, so yep. the amount of time to do all this is just really me. I know. And um, but I would love it. I would love it if Quacky Shop made some money. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's just fun. All right. Well, I'll link it. And uh, thanks so much, Quacky. No, thank you for having me. And uh, I just want to say one more thing. You know, it's as as much as my career has grown, everyone thinks I'm a you know this success at what I do. I couldn't be successful without the people behind me, yeah. my assistants, my agents, my my team, my accountants, my lawyers. I have a team behind me that help keeping me that help keep this business going. So it's really important to as young photographers to start thinking about your career as team building. Mm-hmm. You're the leader of the team, but you you have to have your your you know your assistant who understands how you think and just your your vendors your accountants, your lawyers, look over contracts. Yeah. So those are key to any successful photographer, I think. Yeah, I like that like you said vendors because, like, the way you treat your rental houses or your film lab, like, it's really important relationship because they can save your ass. Like, if you got some shooting, you need some a piece of equipment or whatever it may be on a short notice, it's like if you just build those little relationships, it, it can save your ass sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's so about relationships in every part of this journey in photography. I mean, I have, you know, you know, I mean, I use milk. I use everything from all the vendors. I've, I use a lot, and yep. I tell you from the lab, just get your film process in time. Mm-hmm. Or oh, my 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 budget only has five thousand dollars for the rental equipment, and it comes in at twenty, you know, eight thousand. Having that relationship where they give you a discount is everything because you bring business to them. Yeah. And so I really try to, you know, keep those relationships positive and paying them on time and, yep. you know, doing little things for them. It's just really, it's really important. And I've definitely made mistakes in my past, mm. but I've learned over the last 25 years that the vendors are, are part of it. It's pretty much vendors and the assistants are the backbone of your 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 business yeah no doubt well uh kwaku i'll let you go there we can cut it so there you have it that was the kwaku austin interview i uh, just want to thank kwaku for taking the time to come on the podcast uh, like i said i've been a big fan of kwaku's work since uh i was a student at rit and this been following closely along everything he's been doing over the course of his career um just a really uh talented and uh, uh passionate photographer he's always just photographing uh interesting personal projects and all the interesting like editorial and commercial work he does um so i can't thank him enough uh definitely go check out kwaku's website at kwakualston.com as well as his instagram at kwakualston i'll link it in the description but uh, definitely go give him a follow and check it out he's always updating with new work and as always i'll be having weekly podcasts every monday on itunes spotify as well as my website alexgarnierphoto.com and on my instagram 
at Alex Garnier Photo. Thanks so much for listening and take care.